Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The trade deadline is now in the rearview mirror, and it's time to start taking a look at how all these pieces are going to fit. See how the stretch run is going. Watch some more NBA basketball as well. See how it's all fitting on the court. And so 15 and 60 Western Conference style here. Let us begin, Danny, with the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, the Mavericks over 500 now, 23 and 21, 10 and 6 since the last 15 and 60, up to 13th in net rating, uh, just a plus uh, 0.6. The big improvement has actually been on defense. They're still ninth in offense, which they were before, but they've jumped all the way to 26th, but that actually matters oh, yeah. in terms of in terms of where they were before. Mavericks currently on 538's Raptor model projected to win 40 games, which would be 7th in the Western Conference, and both Raptor and ELO give them in the 80s as the percentage chance that the Mavericks make the playoffs. Yeah, and also worth noting too with Dallas, a 114.6 defensive rating. Orlando at 17th is only 1.6 points per 100 above them and Dallas is only is less than two points below Detroit which uh somehow is uh is 15th so it's not like that makes a huge huge difference right and and they were in like kind of that bottom tier and moved out of that bottom tier to basically the next tier just to happen to be at the bottom of it at the moment yeah and for perspective 27th is Minnesota they are 1.5 points per 100 worse than Dallas so it's really the the tiering uh, that is important there so let's get into talking about uh, the Mavs Luka Doncic has been missing time with a sore back uh, of late when Luka has been available they've really been uh, on fire here uh what are your so you did a, a bunch of work on these guys what are some of your thoughts uh, on the Dallas Mavericks right now well so I'll talk more about Jalen Brunson but just a quick stat before that the Mavericks have the number four half-court offense in the NBA not a huge surprise when you think about their personnel and you think about how amazing Luka has been but they are not running nearly enough for me and this is you know big, you could play big surprise big surprise Carlisle, but right? they're they're only getting a transition attempt on 22 percent of their live rebounds so that means a defensive rebound when you know it's not like it bounced out of bounds yeah. or whatever like that that is well well and here's some perspective for you the league leading milwaukee bucks they get a transition attempt on 23 percent of all their possessions <laughs> they only play in the half court 77 percent of the time so that's that's pretty remarkable it is and so dallas that leads to them having the highest proportion of of their offense in the half court in the NBA, 83.8% of their possessions per Queen of the Glass. And they're good in those, but you, it does seem like there's at least some fruit. And you could say, you know, like, especially when they're playing Porzingis, he's not exactly the most lithe guy in the world in terms of running down the court. But I do think there are some opportunities opportunities there. But the, the big thing that I looked into, and this actually goes back to comments we were getting at some point early in the season about like, like, do you guys should talk about Jalen Brunson? He's having this really good year. And he absolutely is. Uh, Brunson still coming off the bench, but he's playing about 25 minutes a game, which is a career high, averaging roughly 12 points, four rebounds, three assists per game. But what's been really striking is his improvement in terms of efficiency. So 
63% true shooting. And really what's what's fueled that isn't him drilling threes at a significantly higher rate. Uh, he is getting to the free throw line a little bit more, but it's Brunson making 60% of his two-pointers. And not only 60% of his two-pointers, but 79% of his shots around the basket. That is, granted, this is a truncated season. The sample size is small. That is the best number I can basically ever remember seeing from a guy his size on any kind of volume at all. Yeah, and I'm sure it helps that the Mavericks play a lot of time with great floor spacing. You know, they have floor spacing fives, they have floor spacing fours for the most part. And even the guys who can't shoot generally are good vertical spacers, so that can open it up. But Brunson, some really nice finishes too. He's And he has to do it difficult. I, I watched a lot of pick and roll film, talk about that in a second. But he generally, the advantage Brunson creates is more of a power one than a speed one against like-sized guys. And what that means is you can create and maintain an advantage, but you're generally like have to do something to finish. You're not just like blowing by the guy and getting fouled or something else like that. And he's doing a great job in those circumstances. Now, whether that is 100% sustainable, we're going to have to see like basically the idea is that this has to regress to the mean because nobody does this, but he has been very good so far. Yeah, and he's also extremely judicious about what shots he does take. Yes. At the rim, he's not going to take a shot that he can't make. You know, he's not going to be going into the chest uh, of defenders. And he also takes plenty of floaters as well, where he's solid 44%. uh, And you mentioned the 39% on threes and he's he's got a little of that kind of tj mcconnell once he goes into the pick and roll you know nash under the basket hold on to the ball a lot just like hope that somebody cuts or that he can just find an opening or somebody makes a mistake and over helps you know obviously as you mentioned he's not going to just be like going downhill and just blowing up your defense forcing emergency help that's not the type of player he is but he's also a backup one guard so you can't expect too much there obviously right and the pick and roll numbers on him going through synergy are really impressive brunson 1.07 points per possession as a scorer and pretty close to that when you include passes um both of which are in around the 80th percentile for the league that's really really good so i watched a bunch of film and the bad news is the film wasn't as impressive as i'd hoped like he is a capable pick and roll player to be sure but when you think about brunson you know he plays with starters he plays against starters somewhat but he is primarily you know a second unit point guard is that he's not creating a ton of separation not making a ton of value-added passes though there were some nice ones in there and so then it becomes can he do these tough things all the time and maybe the answer is yes like it it absolutely could be um he's off the dribble jumper looks much smoother than it did when i remember his rookie year and he has been a nails finisher around the basket so like when you when you watch it it's like oh yeah like he's doing a really really good job but if you think about like one of the points of evaluation with any player in Brunson's situation whether we're talking about the Mavericks or theoretically another another potential team as a as a free agent is can he do this if he has the ball in his hands more can he do this against better competition and I'm not as sold in that respect you know can he do this like at points even though Brunson is not the same type of player physically as DJ Augustine kind of had that moment of like you're not beating the guys much it's, it's some execution things and that doesn't make you a bad player like Augustine had a wonderful run as a starting point guard so it's not like you can't do that but it's hard to reach the upper echelons so I would say I'm positive on Jalen Brunson absolutely but will he I, I'm not super positive that he's going to be like a top 15 top 20 point guard in the league 
No, you wouldn't think so, but certainly a, a high quality backup. His contract yes. situation after this after this season is fascinating because he's not doesn't have that team option after the third year. He has a just a non guarantee and a guarantee. Obviously, they'll they'll pick that up, but Dallas doesn't have that option of making him declining that team option and making him a restricted free agent. Now he'll play another season for sure uh, under that minimum contract, but then he will be unrestricted after that now another option for dallas actually might be to renegotiate and extend jalen brunson because they're going to have this 34 million in cap space and so maybe you could get brunson on a nice deal going forward you know something along the lines of where delon Wright or tyus jones i think he probably falls into that sort of a category uh as a fair salary those are some of the comps uh coming off those rookie deals and so maybe you renegotiate and extend him especially if they don't find anything that's like really awesome to their liking in free agency and then you can take a basically take a big hit in 21 22 on him and then you have him kind of decline after that like the way robert covington did so he's on a below market contract after that and could be a nice trade piece uh, or obviously uh part of what they are what they are doing there um let's get to the 28 and 18 denver nuggets uh they are 12 and 5 since the last 15 and 66th in net rating plus 5.2 fourth on offense 118.7 that's uh pretty good Defense is 23rd, uh, although the numbers with Nikola Jokic on the floor have been getting better. They project for the fourth seed, 46 wins, and they will be, in fact, making the playoffs. Any injury news uh, to talk about with these guys? Well, so they traded Gary Harris, so he is no longer on the Nuggets injury report. But Monte Morris has missed is now missing his eighth straight game. He didn't play Sunday when they beat the Hawks with a quad issue. So actually, sorry, it's, it's the ninth. Per per rotor world, uh, the broadcast said it was his eighth, but it might have been the away team that had it wrong. Um, so that that's been unfortunate. They've had to rely more on a Facundo Campazzo, but. Before we get all the way into this, I just wanted to throw this into the universe just very briefly. The Zdrunas Ogowskis rule, where basically if you traded if you trade a guy to a team and then they cut him, you can't sign them for basically for for that year. That won't apply to Gary Harris if he gets waived next year. And so it wouldn't stun me if Gary Harris gets bought out, he could end up going back to Denver at the end of next season. Yeah, it's the one-year anniversary of the trade or the end of the contract. And now you might say, oh, well, the, the buyout deadline will be back to March 1st next year. But this year, with the, the whole canting of the calendar, this kind of counts as you know basically February 5th right now just the way they've moved everything around so I'm guessing he probably will see exactly how they do it but my guess would be that he would be eligible to return at that time and given Mike Malone's uh, incredible hagiography of Harris uh, upon him being traded uh, and giving him a bunch of credit for changing the culture and as you mentioned on our trade deadline special to have really been the guy who made the difference in that series against Donovan Mitchell he's tapped the ball away from Mitchell on, on that critical possession at the end of game seven basically just sh- shut off the faucet uh, that Mitchell had been um let's get into how they've been uh since Michael Porter Jr. returned to the starting lineup uh, and then talk a little bit about their game tonight against the Hawks yeah I mean so MBJ returned February 6th and since then the Nuggets are 16 and 9 with the league's fourth best net rating and they might have even jumped beyond that that was before their win over the Atlanta Hawks number five in offense they haven't played ex- the toughest schedule recently but they've handled their stuff other than that crazy game where it looked like Kyle Lowry was going to get traded and the Raptors just dominated the Nuggets but they had another nice win at home against the Hawks shortly before we're starting recording 
yeah 126 102 in the end there was extensive garbage time uh, in the fourth with bull bow and uh vlako chanchar getting some minutes even marcus howard coming in uh aaron gordon only played 21 minutes uh just talk about the game first uh, and then gordon gordon was I'm sorry the Nuggets actually trailed by three about five minutes left in the second then they went on a 13-0 run and then they started the third quarter with a 10-2 run and it was they were up 18 and that was basically at two minutes into the third quarter and I will say that the Hawks were uh, not exactly moving with their normal alacrity in this one. This was a end of the road trip at altitude, kind of special for the Hawks. Nobody, nobody really played very well. Denver was energized, obviously, uh, by getting Gordon Lou Williams uh, not yet in a, a Hawks uniform. So Gordon, I think after watching this game and particularly watching those two big runs, which he was instrumental in both of those, I think I really probably underrated how much this move would help them offensively. Yeah, Gordon's cutting in particular i thought he he is he's an intuitive cutter this nuggets team has a lot of spacing and there was also this beautiful five four pick and roll they ran that that gore got gordon a wide open dunk yeah and that's actually that could be really powerful with gordon slipping to the rim because Jokic is just he can he can see over the defense so easily whoever is guarding gordon is be way smarter than Jokic. so if gordon slips out of there and and he's fast fast enough to do that and get behind the defense Jokic can get it over the defense right to him that's how they opened the third quarter with a nice slip to the well, rim and, and when you dunk. think about and when you think about that tactically if it involves the other team's two tallest players the help responsibilities are daunting yeah they are and now you have three three-point shooters around any kind of Jokic and Gordon action the other thing that I probably didn't think about enough and granted we had you know a record number of trades on deadline day to get through so uh I'll I'll excuse myself to some degree on that is Gordon has actually already played with a similar player to Jokic in Vucevic now Jokic is an order of magnitude better as both the scorer and passer than Vucevic is but we've seen Gordon do a lot of stuff cutting off the ball and during some of these runs he was really good at that finding places to cut in he had one really nice cut in in their run where i think it was jamal murray dined him up from the baseline he cut in from the wing three hawks converged and he threw a no look over his head into the corner to michael porter for what ended up being a a four-point play opportunity as tony snell fouled him uh defensively i thought he looked decent although the hawks i noticed this when the hawks blew out the warriors the other day too that trey young really has not had a lot of speed this year like he's really struggled to get separation on switches so gordon was able to stay with him pretty good the hawks don't really have anyone else who's gonna put stress on you from a one-on-one type of guarding situation um so we'll see gordon has looked a little stiff this year he's had that hamstring he's had that ankle issue he definitely is not the high flyer that he was even when he was in the dunk contest uh, about a year ago i would say we'll see whether that comes back uh, or not by the way he, he is now wearing number 50 with the nuggets because he's gotten all these 50s in the dunk contest I thought it that was, was pretty funny it was so disorienting though when when the games are like wait what the hell is that but yeah <laughs> 50, 50 is a good number uh, oh it is i'll I'll, rem- I'll probably remember it now but for this entire game i was just completely dumbfounded every time i saw it yeah and then they went with paul Millsap and jamichael green on that second unit green had had a nice game uh, with 20 points uh, and zeke naji was out of the rotation this time they played compazzo a lot dozier was really the only guard off the bench 
uh, other than Compazzo. So, uh, and we'll see how many threes they're able to get up. Barton is maybe is a, a little weird as a starting two. He's just, he'll shoot it okay, but he's not like, you know, that's not what he's looking to do first it is spot up, which is really what he's going to be asked to do more of now. So, uh, and then Dozier is shooting it a little bit more this year, but, you know, still not really a, an enormous threat out there. But certainly in the first night of Aaron Gordon, you could see the vision here, but there are many tougher tests to come, particularly defensively for this. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Group. Uh, let's get to the Warriors here. Yeah, the Warriors are 22 and 24, 6 and 9 since the last 1560. Their net rating has dropped to negative 2.5. They're 23rd in offense, though. You could guess the split. Um, 10th in defense. 538 projects them. There's a, currently actually a big old tie between a bunch of different teams in kind of the 8, 9, 10, 11 range with 34 wins. You'll hear more about those teams a little bit later. Um, and the Raptor and Elo odds are both in the 20% range, 23 and 28 for the Golden State Warriors. They are next to last in net rating, negative 9.2 per 100 possessions per clean the glass since the All-Star break. They did have that weird win over the Jazz and beat Memphis in the game after Curry got hurt, but they have been, I mean, especially in the games that Curry has missed with that lone exception, they've been rough. Yeah, now one in six this season without Stephen Curry and they did have that win over the Jazz. They did beat Memphis in the 40-point game from Andrew Wiggins. It's a eh, slight outlier. Uh, and uh, they also have two roster spots open now, reporting from Anthony Slater, indicating that one of those is going to eventually at least go to Juan Toscano-Anderson. Golden State has not really been mentioned at all in any of the buyout sweepstakes, despite the fact that they uh, could probably really use a, a center. And that's, a, a, I mean, I guess a, let's talk about, you did some research uh, again uh, uh, on a theme that uh, we've been discussing basically since you and I first became friends uh, back in 2013. Yeah, and this is not all Stephen Curry being a wonderful basketball player, though he is. Some of this is Bob Myers in the front office either not paying or not investing in backup point guards or, you know, the D'Angelo Russell thing last year. Yeah, but, but or or frankly, it's uh, it's Steve Kerr's system uh, Steve Kerr's, uh, as well. Yeah, as well. So, and, and it's not only backup point guards, but I, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but there's just, you know, there's really... There just isn't really an offensive 
theory that they've been able to find that works whenever he goes out of the game i mean that even is going back to some of those years when they had kevin durant uh in 2018 they still like weren't really a good scoring team just you know they, they didn't they don't they never seem to have enough shooting and they never seem to have a you know just a, a, a system just any kind of a go-to idea for for their second unit but anyway continue right. there so cleaning the glass does off basically you could think of it as offensive rating differential on and off the floor and the warriors offensive rating in every year that curry has been remotely healthy since 2012 13 their offensive rating has always dropped by at least 10.4 points per hundred possessions sometimes the highest it's gone is 18.4 which i think was his unanimous mvp season i might be a little wrong on that um but He's been, you know, if you want to do like percentile, 98th percentile or higher every year in differential since that 2012-13 season under Mark Jackson, which was the first time the Warriors made the playoffs. That is completely insane. And that's a part of, you know, kind of leading into the the offensive RPM thing that we've talked about before. Yeah. And one thing that really struck me, uh, you know, I, I was at two of their three games this week. We talked about one of them against the Sixers when they actually looked a little bit better than they did in the two games later against the Kings and the Hawks. Draymond Green did not play against the Kings and he did play against the Hawks but he looked very limited and and Steve Kerr said he was sick Uh, this is speculation but I think it's an educated guess that uh, there was reporting that 12 Warriors players and coaches is relatively low number if you're including the coaches frankly uh you know they're not going to get to that 85 percent unless that changes and uh Kent Bazemore and Andrew Wiggins have both specifically said that they will not be taking the vaccine Kent Bazemore says uh no I do everything I can to strengthen my immune system I don't I don't need the vaccine in any event Draymond set out right after they got the vaccine I think somebody else set out due to illness as well and then Draymond made it back the next day but still wasn't feeling so I think they probably just had uh you know some side effects they got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine that's the the one dose so uh I, I mean that's probably that, that's one thing that probably needs to be kept in mind is that some players are gonna have that after getting the vaccine obviously it's worth it to not actually have to worry about getting COVID again um but what stuck out to me is the bigs on this team are just so weird and you want like I watched Michael Mulder for example come in who's been out of the rotation recently they brought him in at the end of the second quarter to just try and get a little bit of a spark against the Hawks like he's a he's not a good defender but he's not terrible and it shoots 40 percent from three pretty high volume and you know Damian Lee is like is a good shooter like decent score uh, off the bench and and uh you know Brad Wanamaker has been successful as a role player before he just couldn't make a shot in Golden State and there are definitely guys on this team who can be successful as role players on like a normal team but this isn't anywhere close to a normal team and the reason it's not a normal team offensively is just because of their bigs they have you know Kavon Looney and Draymond Green were starting together for a while or uh Draymond and James Wiseman defensively James Wiseman just has so far to go still he's really been uh, regressing uh, over the past basically since the all-star break although he obviously had to, had to miss some time there as well and uh, even despite he's, the fact he's been declared as the start of the rest of the year but like having a big and Draymond who basically has to handle the ball all the time or he's going to kill you offensively and then even if he is handling the ball and then he doesn't have stuff with him he's probably going to kill you offensively as well like there are plays where they have this pet play where uh they'll screen the screener out to the shooter this time it was Jordan Poole so Wiseman gets out there Jordan Poole able to turn the corner get a good screen right down the lane 
and then Draymond Green is just standing in the restricted area, right? Like, like he, if he is not involved in the action, he there's just nowhere for him to stand, nowhere for him to go. He's under 30% from three. Looney just has no explosion anymore, as we talked about. Like, poor Jordan Poole, who's now playing with Looney on the second unit with Wiseman starting, you know, just keeps trying to find him on the roll. And, like, he has no catch radius. And then when he does, he has to pump fake three times and he gets it blocked. Um, so it just, for Poole, for example, like teams have started to really key on him. He, he's fallen off a little bit and there's just no space. There's no, nowhere to do anything uh, on this team with just some of the bigs that they have. And they just can't find combinations that work offensively or defensively unless they play Draymond Green at center. And they're not going to do that, obviously, because now James Wiseman is part of this group and, and he has to play. Maybe they'll close, you know, the last four minutes or, or something with it. And then part of the reason too, why the Wiseman pick is going to kind of make things weird for them, Danny, is you have to play him, right? Like you're, you're not going to take him out of the rotation and he just plays too important of a position. So you're kind of, you kind of just have to like punt on these minutes when he's out there. It is a real challenge for, and this is part of why there is often tension between coaches and front offices is because you're trying to do these two things at once. The Warriors are trying to make the playoffs. They're trying to, to you know, Steph Curry's under contract. You don't know how long it's going to go. And yeah, they're shorthanded a little bit with Clay Thompson being out this year. But you also want to develop guys for the future. And James Wiseman is a negative player right now. And it's hard to reconcile. One other just crazy stat with this Warriors team is that they are the league's worst offensive rebounding team despite playing two bigs basically all the time. And one of those is that they're only grabbing 19% of, 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 of available misses when Wiseman's on the floor. That is terrible. Yeah, that's really bad. That's probably been, if I had to pick actually the one thing that's been the most disappointing about Wiseman, I would say it, it, it would be his offensive rebounding. Um, the other thing that they've just really struggled with is the, the big formula that everyone was saying before the season. Okay, yeah, we don't have that much shooting. It's going to be, we rely on staff. We get that. But we're going to play great defense, and then we're going to get out and run, and that hasn't really happened. No, it, it really hasn't. They're 26th in percentage of plays in half court. I brought that up in terms of the Mavericks. And they're about league average when Steph Curry's on the floor, but significantly worse than that when he's off. And there are a couple different reasons why. But yeah, it, it is a real problem. And it, I'll bring up the kind of that. I, there's some of the ideas with the theory of New Orleans' defense where it's like, okay, you have to be, if, if your theory is going to be doing X and Y, you have to actually be able to do X and Y in order to succeed. Yeah. One bright spot uh, has been uh, that Draymond Green is averaging. I mean, they have to run everything through him, so it's not a surprise, but he is still an excellent passer. 10.1 assists for 36 minutes. That's third in the NBA. And teammates shoot 60.2% off his passes. And that is fourth in the NBA among the top 50 players in potential assists. Uh, potential assist being a, a pass that leads to a shot, whether it goes in or not. Per the tracking data, well, we can go from somebody who's in the top 50 in in that in, pa in potential assist to a team that might be in the top 50 in, of NBA teams, the Houston Rockets. <laughs> the Rockets are 13 and 32, 2 and 15 since the last 15 and 60. They're all the way down to t to 27th in net rating now, negative uh, 6.2. And the big drop is actually they're still 13th in defense, but they were much higher than that before and 28th in offense 13th in defense 538's model now has them winning 20 games which is 14th one ahead of the minnesota timberwolves they're not making the playoffs and a big part of why the models are so low on the rockets i mean one is that they played so poorly 
even honestly since they got Christian Wood back, is because they have the league's hardest schedule. So if you go pure strength of schedule, Rockets opponents averaging 57, like uh, a 57% winning percentage. And they're the only team where that is over 50, 54%. So they have like by far in terms of opponent quality, the hardest schedule, very few games against the worst teams left, and they don't obviously get to play themselves. So that is going to be a very real challenge. Yeah, I do. I mean, they have, what have they won? Two of their last three now? (laughs) Uh, They are, yeah, they had that rousing streak breaker. Then they almost beat the Wolves, and then they failed to score over the last seven minutes and 30 seconds of the game, which I think had only happened once before over uh, some crazy amount of time. Uh, but then they blew out the Wolves uh, in their most recent game. So that that was the, reve- the revenge game. Yeah, I think part of the reason I was a little bit lower on them was part of the, one of the Rockets games that I watched was when they got their absolutely throttled by the Charlotte Hornets. So I was I was a little bit more sour, but they, yeah, you're right. They well, had well I mean, they, they lost lost 20 in a row i think you're i think you're allowed to be a bit down i don't know but but i do think just having oladipo gone will help them like it does seem like oladipo is not you know him not playing back to backs and like clearly not wanting to be there ever knowing he was going to be traded but him still taking a ton of shots anyway and being really inefficient with them it certainly isn't going to hurt them to not have victor oladipo anymore um and John Wall, you know, the early storyline was that, it, wow, they got a pick for him and he's been better than Westbrook. That was when they were hovering around 500, there's a little bit more to that. Uh, and obviously there's the disturbing news that Wall also is going to require another surgery, a cleanup surgery, which is, uh, that's, that's always like a nice way to sugarcoat a surgery but not still still is a surgery uh what have we seen from john wall this season the top line numbers aren't too far from wall's pre-injury seasons 21 points 6.6 assists that's down but you could his role within the rockets offense at different points this year has been different still blocking a few shots not not quite the best shot blocking point guard of all time now but you know there but I mean, the efficiency numbers are definitely concerning. Wall, 50% true shooting, 32% usage, and 9.7 assists per 100 possessions. And the the story, like you could think there are a bunch of different ways that somebody can drop efficiency. You know, 32% on threes is about what you would expect from John Wall. And he's getting to the line about as much as he did before, which is a positive thing. But Wall down to 45% on twos. Yeah, that that's big trouble because and on this team, I mean, we'll talk about a few a few of the reasons why this team is such a poor fit for his skill set. But they play a bunch of small guys, which means that teams are probably going to try to match up small with them and switch. And the way he's shooting the ball, I mean, he's never been an amazing ISO player, uh, but the way he's shooting the ball, it's really fallen off this year. Right. And also just the finishing around the basket he's making. So you have the combination of both where he's now at 56% at the rim, which isn't horrendous, but is a lot worse than where Wall was, but making 32% of his long twos and 20% of his shots from four to 14 feet. That's a big, big problem. No, absolutely. He's never really had much floater game or or anything like that. Um, And his numbers aren't so far down from where they were in Washington, but also you got to remember that league-wide efficiency is way higher, right? Like when he was having these, I mean, even in his last two, his career high in true shooting is 54%. So he's never been really like a a dominating scorer. And his last year in Washington, 53% true shooting is 50 this year. You know, that's, that's not so much worse. But the league average in true shooting is up like um, two, three points since even uh, that last year in Washington. 
And the numbers with him on the floor aren't amazing. But if you think about what John Wall's best skill is, I mean, Mike Prada has talked about this forever from back when he was in Washington. His best skill is setting up threes and setting up corner threes. And the team just, this is the worst three-point shooting team that, that we've seen in some time. And they're basically like process Sixers level in terms of their terrible percentage, yet still bombing away a, a ton of threes in, a, in an attempt to be analytically friendly. The Rockets are shooting, if using cleaning the glasses garbage time filter, they're 33.8% from three, whereas the median in the league is 37%. And when you take them at the volume that they do, that is crushing. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so that's how you get these uh, statistics where Wall, you mentioned he's only 6.6 assists per game. He's actually 14th in the NBA in potential assists per game. He's 14. That's pretty good, uh, particularly considering he doesn't play that many minutes. Uh, but he only is averaging the 6.6 assists per game. So that ratio ranks 47th out of the top 50 potential assisters in the NBA. Uh, and so you see the difference there. He's 10th in potential assists per 36 minutes, but he is 18th in actual assists per 36 minutes. So he's setting up a lot of shots and these dudes ain't making them. Anything else on the Rockets or do you want to move to the Clippers? Well, I guess we could talk just a little bit, take a, a little bit more stock of that wall Westbrook trade uh, before sure. we move on. Yeah, so we don't need to talk about the Westbrook part of this. I mean, he's come up more on the pod, including in the most disappointing players conversation. But the pick that Washington is sending to Houston, it's the earliest thing go is 23, 2023. And it's lottery protected that year. And then the projection, the protection drops basically kind of a couple slots a year. So it's one through eight if it hasn't conveyed by 2026. Then it becomes two seconds if it gets all the way there. Uh, That's, you know, especially when you and I aren't the most enthusiastic about where the Wizards are, where they're going. But also remember that they are owned by somebody who loves chasing the eight seed. Like I could see this conveying as like the, you know, like the 11th or 12th pick in one of these years. Like absolutely seems possible. Yeah, I think when, when the trade happened, you and I tried to guess, or at least I did, of what year it would convey. And it's 1 through 10 protected in 2025. And so I guess it was that was the year that i picked but i might even push that back even further now i i mean what do you that, that'll be a great watfo actually we should do that for tomorrow because that's because that's what we're doing of, of the odds that that pick never conveys uh and yeah. becomes becomes the two second i mean i think i think it's pretty substantial honestly because especially when you consider how much they suck now the wizards and that they aren't you know we thought maybe they would make some moves to move on from bradley beal at some point although the trade for westbrook didn't augur that but it seems like a potential trade of beal is all further away than ever so if they're not going to start the rebuild and then it's you know by trading beal if they're not going to start that i mean they could stay in that protection for a, a long time going forward here uh but and the good news about moving on from westbrook is that it helps the rockets potentially keep their own top four projected pick the degree of i mean the degree of obsessed that i will be over that i'm not sure that it can be quantified this lottery is gonna kick ass like this is gonna be one of the best lotteries since like 2003 with the wolves and the rockets both just like shitting their pants about maybe keeping their pick or not keeping it Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. 
And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then girlfriend, now wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And now Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? Like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Let's move on to the Clippers, 31 and 16, 9 and 7 since the last 15 and 60, but they are 7 and 2 over their last nine. Seem to have righted the ship. They're actually number one in net rating since the break, uh, with uh, plus 11.4, with the number one offense and the number six defense. Uh, overall though, 6.5 net rating, third in the NBA, second on offense, 14th on defense. They project for a tie for second in the West at 49 wins. And that, that will be very, very interesting. That fight between them and the Suns for second, it seems headed that way because you will be seeing the LA Lakers. Maybe they'll be sixth. Maybe they'll be seventh. Maybe they'll be fifth. But I, the attempt to avoid the Lakers will be absolutely hilarious and uh also worth noting that that the clippers and nuggets have sort of been in a tank fest together before back in 2006 when the nuggets were the three seed this is back when you just had to be a top three seed if you won your division and the nuggets were terrible so the clippers actually tanked into the sixth seed in 2006 and then summarily dispatched the nuggets uh, that year the tank uh, worked out great and then they lost that heartbreaker to the suns uh, in the second round that was their best team that they had before chris paul got there um let's uh let's talk some clippers though here yeah, so I, I looked at, I was going through the some of the ha- kind of half-court offense splits. You've heard me mention them with some other teams, but I thought the Clippers ones were particularly compelling. So on the season, Clippers are the number two half-court offense. A 103.8 offensive rating in the half-court is ridiculous. That's really, yeah, really Yeah, and good that's not even, that's not counting what happens after Flip offensive backs. rebounds either. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and just the, the initial only, possession. Yeah. The only team better, Brooklyn Nets, not a huge surprise there. Um, But the Clippers aren't running that much on offense. And when you consider their personnel, not a huge surprise there. But yeah. so while they're not 
pushing the ball in transition. They're also not letting the other team score in transition. They've been the single best team in terms of getting back when you think of proportion of opponent shots in the half court. But the Clippers have the league's 20, number 24 half court defense. Granted, 24 overstates it, kind of overstates it a little bit because there's this whole big bunch and they're just at the kind of the bottom of the bunch. So it yeah. could move relatively quickly. Shooting lock, there are a few other things that can go in there. But it was really jarring to see the Clippers as the, like they're the four, number 14 defense overall, but 24th in half court defense. Yeah, and I think yeah, at some point we'll want to look more closely into just the starters versus bench yes. overall as well. I mean, their their bench defense has not had great personnel. And the biggest thing that sticks out to me, though, is like this is right now we're talking about you don't think of them this way, but this is one of the greatest three-point shooting teams of all time right now. They're shooting 41.6% from three as a team. As a team, like, and you know, Kawhi uh, of their high volume three point shooters, he's shooting 39.5%, and that is the worst. I mean, these percentages are insane. Paul George is 42.6, Batum 42.9, Marcus Morris 46%, Luke Kennard 47%. Lou Williams well, not on the team anymore is 38. Reggie Jackson is 42%. Here's another way of putting it. Let's exclude Kevin Gale for a bunch of different reasons. But <laughs> the every other clipper who has it who attempts who attempts more than a three per 36 minutes is shooting 35% or better. And, and all but one of them, Ibaka is shooting 35%. Everyone else is 38% or above. Insane. Yeah, that, that is really, uh, I mean, when you just look up and down the lineup, and yes, there is some reason to fret that they don't get to the rim that much, and especially because they shoot this well, like, couldn't they get to the rim a little bit more? And obviously having Rondo, I think it will give them a little bit more penetration, and you know, we'll see whether Rondo is able to finish. I mean, he's never played on a team like this with this type of of spacing and three-point shooters that he's going to be able to set up um a couple other notes uh on these guys i mean i guess let, let's uh, before we get into just some of these small stat notes how uh, i think it's worth thinking about just how rondo is going to fit in here particularly at the end of games and whether you know, is he gonna start or and is he gonna close games what's that gonna look like like where do you see him fitting in into some of these uh, some of their good lineups uh, obviously he'll be a, a big part of their bench unit you would think well so the first thing i thought of is that he becomes their best entry passer and so that is important in the Zubats minutes. Yeah, um, or, but- or even or even like these Kawhi ISO minutes uh, as well. I think that's a, that's important. I shouldn't say minutes, but uh, you know, the, like I really thought against the Nuggets, for example, and this is what Kawhi has complained about is that they just didn't really have a way to get Kawhi the ball where he likes it. So I, I do think that's an important component. Yeah, I, I do as well. Um, but in terms of closing, I I like some of these switchier lineups, and I don't. I mean, Rondo had moments in the in the Lakers stuff where he really competed and he looked good. And so, yeah, if he's if he's really putting it putting it together, then maybe you can maybe you can do it. But it is, I'm a little, I, I I'm more concerned about Rondo being overplayed than underplayed. No, I, I think that's the case too, and particularly if it's at the expense uh, of Patrick Beverly. Now, one thing maybe that inspired this move was that Beverly has struggled to stay healthy. He was not healthy in the playoffs last year coming off that calf injury, and he's been missing a bunch of time uh, with this knee stuff. They've been winning uh, winning without him, but uh, shooting 42% from three, by the way, in case in case you're wondering, uh, Patrick Beverly. Uh, but, you know, he does add something for them defensively. He's a better shooter than Rondo as well. 
So I think to me, it really all comes down to how hard Rondo is going to defend. I think that's really more important than what he's going to do for them offensively. Because I think they have enough shooting that I think he's going to be in a better position to succeed than he's ever been. Um, I would also try to pair him with Zubats as much as possible on the second unit uh, where he, he can have a role man to throw it to it, having him just be the only penetrator since he's kind of a poor finisher is not great although again that was another thing that just randomly became good all of a sudden in the playoffs last year there was one game against the nuggets where they were like all right we're gonna not we're gonna make this guy finish and rondo's like oh you're making me finish now okay that's that's what i'm gonna do um a couple other small notes uh, on these guys because they are shooting it so well paul george is second in the nba in points per potential assists and Kawhi is fifth so every potential assist that pg throws turns into 1.56 points and every potential assist that Kawhi throws turns into 1.51 now worth noting that shooting on potential assists is going to be better than your overall shooting because assisted buckets uh, are just more efficiently when you're getting a pass from someone and be able to shoot right away you're doing that because you're open so your 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 quality of shot is going to be better off potential assists you know when you look at that number where it's kind of basically like 75 percent effective field goal percentage like your your average is higher but those are still crazy numbers uh uh and I think that's about, oh, I guess we could talk a little bit about uh, Avicii Zubac's year where he, he's taken another nice little step forward despite the fact that he hasn't started except when Ibaka has been out. Yeah, Zubac is actually playing more minutes per game this year. Remember, they've also changed their coaching staff. Having having an efficient year, you know, a little bit below 70% true shooting, usage is a little bit of a drop, but he's, you know, making his shots at the rim, making his free throws. So I think he, I think he's looked pretty solid this year. Yeah, and also worth noting that their normal starting lineup with, with Ibaka is uh, plus 17 three and 534 possessions that is the third best unit in the league with over 300 possessions played together per cleaning the glass and that's still pretty good especially because generally units that play a lot of possessions together that's because they've been effective and coaches stick with them and try to play them as much as possible while we move to the other la team here uh struggling a bit although they did get right against cleveland on saturday night yes yeah, so the night. lakers sorry excuse me the, the lakers are now 30 and 17 after their sunday win over the husk of the orlando magic they're eight and eight since the last 15 and 60 lakers have a plus five net rating which is good for sixth in the league 16th in offense still first in defense and i mean held the magic to 93 points on sunday yeah um, S- scored 96 which uh, i mean scored- but but i mean those those wins, I mean, they blew out Cleveland, obviously, but like to just get those two home wins against Cleveland and Orlando, like those those are big games, honestly. Huge. Like those are their best chances to win. Like if they had lost those games, and I think that the way they've been playing, that was certainly possible. You know, th- those could be the games that get them like into the sixth seed eventually. Right, and so currently 538's Raptor model projects the Lakers to finish with 43 wins, which would narrowly give them the five seed, but it's really, really tight in those spots. Uh, They are going to make the playoffs, not a huge surprise. And the biggest news that's happened since the last time we recorded for them is that they added Andre Drummond and the awkwardness that the Lakers' primary offseason additions other than Dennis Schroeder all play the position that Anthony Davis is best at in key situations. It extends with Andre Drummond. Now it's Drummond, Marcus Gasol, and Montrezl Harrell. And Drummond, Kevin Pelton wrote about this well, like Drummond does do things that their other bigs do not, but Anthony Davis played, I believe, was 60% of his possessions last year in the playoffs at center. And now like all of these play, all of these centers have 
pedigrees. All of them chose to play there, and I just don't know how this is going to work out. Yeah, I mean, my guess is that Marcus Gasol is just going to not play, uh, at least at least at the beginning. And the reporting on Drummond, it came down to him and the Celtics. And if I were him, just in terms of like trying to better my market value, I would have gone to Boston. I honestly, I probably would have knocked at the Charlotte Hornets door and said, "Hey, uh, you guys want me? I'd love to come down and play pick and roll with all your guys. Like, put up some numbers, then maybe uh, potentially get re-signed there with their cap space. I mean, financially, that would have been the best move. But he's made a lot of money." career perhaps he wants to he's been in the playoffs twice never won a playoff game so maybe he wants to sniff that and supposedly the reporting was that the promise of a role like a bigger offensive role now uh was uh, appealing to him I, I don't know if that should be appealing to the lakers though no probably not i mean especially when when harrell has really stepped up during this during this time yeah. and the how to how to square i mean drummond and harrell to me cannot play together at all and so that could mean a lot less marcus all and remember that for the next let's call it three to five weeks he's not gonna ha- drummond's not gonna have lebron passing in balls this is a much he will have opportunities but they will be lower quality opportunities because the best the best offensive creator on the lakers isn't there yeah and drummond you know he can operate a little bit at the high post but obviously we have uh ridiculed his drive and post up game for a reason and he'll get on the offensive glass but he also has a really poor percentage on putbacks now is he better than marcus gasol is been back now three games with COVID. He was negative 11 tonight, uh, and he struggled to shoot the ball. And obviously, they have not been pleased with him. They're looking to upgrade. And Gasol does have the uh, two point or, or that minimum guaranteed contract next year. That's uh, I think going to end up just being kind of a golden parachute for him. Essentially, just paying him five million dollars for this year instead of two million. But they're just putting more of it towards next year now. I guess they're just going to start Drummond. I think they, given how bad they are offensively right now, which we'll talk about a little bit more, they, I think they would be foolish to close games with Drummond over Harrell. And as you mentioned, I don't think they can play together. And Harrell, again, was really good tonight. Uh, Coming into tonight, in the LeBron got hurt on March 20th against the Hawks and he played 11 minutes. And including that game, Montrose Harrell shooting 67%, 21.6 points, and getting to the foul line eight attempts per game. It would be even better if he was hitting his free throws, only 55% there. And so he, to me, still needs to be featured as well. And yeah, I mean, I just I, I just wonder, like they went away from JaVale, they went away from Dwight Howard. Just how is it, how is it going to go? I, I mean, I guess if you have LeBron and you have Anthony Davis and you got to sit Drummond, then so be it, you just do it. But it's, uh, I mean, that's the same thing with the Brooklyn getting LaMarcus, which we'll talk about tomorrow, I'm sure. It just seems like superfluous. And yeah, all right, if you can tell these guys to pound sand and sit on the bench, then yeah, no reason not to get more talent. But And, and maybe Drummond will just play better. Maybe he'll be more of a pick and roll guy when LeBron comes back. And, and it can help off with with their rebounding and, and his size and, and play a smaller role but i'm uh i'm skeptical that he's going to give them what they need as of now uh should we talk a little bit more about uh what it's looked like since lebron went down and this is coming into tonight obviously against the magic but uh the offensive numbers aren't going to look much better after tonight no no they are not and so basically since lebron went down but before tonight's game 
They're dead last in offense. They're turning it over a ton. 29th in effective field goal percentage. So that's two of the four factors. They are still getting fouled a ton and they're still defending well, but the offense has not looked good. No, negative 7.7 net rating coming into tonight. Uh, I mean, when they beat Cleveland at home, that was no Colin Sexton in that game as well. But it's, it's just tough. They've got one guy on this team who can run a pick and roll, and that's Dennis Schroeder. And Schroeder, I think his individual numbers have been as good as you could hope for. 18.6.4 assists, not taking very many threes. He's been getting to the rim a lot. I would actually think that maybe he would shoot more mid-rangers than he has, but he's 14 to 25 at the rim, but only having taken 12 threes in those five games, you'd like to see a little bit more of that off the dribble, potentially. And then Taylor Horton Tucker, who's kind of been the other guy in the second unit, he really struggled and only played 18 minutes tonight as you would think he would be kind of the guy initiating more offense on the second unit. He's 12 out of 28 at the rim, and he's only 2 out of 12 from downtown coming into tonight as well. So he hasn't really been able to pick up the slack. And their overall stats, I mean, they just have been shooting very poorly at the rim as a team only 58 percent which is basically like last in the league type of levels as they are last in the league in offensive efficiency and that's not a surprise they have no spacing so and they play a bunch of bigs so uh other than harrell they don't really have anybody who's a good finisher at the rim either so it's big wins for them to temporarily right the ship but they got a hard schedule coming up and ad has just returned to on-court work now so difficult to imagine he'll be back in less than two weeks and you think it'll probably be longer Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us let's get to memphis yeah the grizzlies are 21 and 22 8 and 9 since the last 15 and 60 a little bit below water net rating uh negative 0.8 is 18th 21st in offense and a strong seventh remember there was they were have doing worse early in the year but they had this fluky opponent shooting percentage that has regressed to the mean and that has helped their defensive rating the grizzlies are in that morass of 34 projected wins tied for eighth in the west Raptor gives them a 25% chance of making the playoffs. Elo 48% after they've won a, they've won a couple of games recently. They're, they've won three of their last five, and the only two games they lost were against the Jazz. Pretty good team, obviously. Um, 
We did get a tiny bit of Jaron Jackson information. Uh, Zach Kleiman said that Jaron Jackson should be back, should be back by the end of April. So he's basically missing the whole season. Memphis plays, let's say he can be back by then. Memphis plays, I think it's 10 games in the month of May, but before any potential play-ins or playoffs. And Jaw's having a very nice year overall, but he needs help. Yeah, he does. Uh, now, this team doesn't take very many threes, so we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, well, actually, we can talk about it now. They are 5-6 and six since the break, negative 4.0 net rating, 25th on offense during that time, 29th in e-field goal, 27th in location e-field goal percentage, which basically just says, hey, where are you shooting on the floor if you make the league average from all these spots? Where would you rank in uh, e-field goal percentage? And they are all also 30th in the percentage of their shots from three only taking 28 percent of their shots from downtown and during that period and by contrast portland is number one i think they're taking 47 percent of their shots from downtown interestingly despite the three-point explosion nobody's taken as many threes as houston was the last few years as a percentage of their shots so they don't take that many threes very interesting that John Morant is 19th in the NBA in potential assists per 36. You'd, I think you'd like to see that be a little bit higher overall. But when he does throw a pass, it gets converted a lot. I think part of that is because he's finding guys around the rim, but also because this team shoots a, a lot of shots in the paint. Uh, they are He is fourth in the NBA in points per potential assist, 1.52 points per potential assist. He sets up a lot of dunks, obviously. They got Balanchunas, Clark, some pretty good finishers on this team. And despite the utter lack of spacing on this group, he's made pretty much every expected stride that you would hope except for one thing which we'll talk about in a second but he is now up to 65 percent at the rim that's five percent better than last year uh his volume from three is up this year uh his usage is up from 25.9 to 28.5 getting to the foul line more 5.3 per 36 last year 6.8 last year uh still only 31.5 minutes per game which again i applaud this is this team is not going to win a playoff series this year he has that meniscus surgery in his past so take it easy with him uh his turnovers are way down that's a huge thing that rookies usually improve on 17 percent last year 13 percent this year so that's getting pretty close to league average so that's all the usual second year refinements except for one problem Danny. yeah john morant taking four three-pointers per 36 minutes and making 23 percent of them and that is not great and so for morant if you want to go back to to murray state he josh shot 36 percent on threes but his freshman year where he also you know played a lot of minutes shot 31 percent john's been a pretty good free throw shooter throughout his career so like you see that but like so but even if you if you got that 23 percent even to like shit like 30 31 percent he would be a much much more efficient player and i don't think we've seen all of the unraveling like i don't think teams treat as like oh he's a 23 percent shooter forever but it is very difficult no and then also his basically shots everywhere away from the rim he's really struggled this year yeah, I think that's that's an important note as well. I mean, dropped yeah. from forty one percent to thirty six percent on the the, you know, the closer mid ranger floater range. Um, less efficient from straight mid range, not making any long twos, but also not taking any long twos, so that you don't want to think about that as much. And then of course the the threes and his threes are actually a higher proportion assisted than last year, but it's still you know a, more in the like half range, which is more self created than a lot of guys. Yeah, I mean, and it's nice if you can spit a, hit a spot up three on occasion 
equation. But I mean, he's got to be able to bang that w- when they go under on him. I mean, that that's it. But on the bright side, at least he's not shooting twelve percent from three. <sighs> yeah, the the obviously they're very early returns. And remember, when somebody's coming back from injuries and they've been out as long as they have, want to give them some latitude. But the early early returns of the Justice Winslow time in Memphis have not been strong. No, and you you mentioned giving giving him latitude. They're giving him latitude to the point where he has a career high in usage percentage, twenty two percent right now. Winslow, I mentioned the twelve percent from three. That's five out of forty one. So that's basically like remember a couple of years ago we were talking about how Giannis was basically having like the worst three point shooting season of like anyone who had taken fifty or more attempts. And Winslow is like he's threatening to break that right now. Uh, you know, I think I think Giannis at least was like you know ten out of fifty at one point early, and then he actually got much better that season but yeah five out of 41 i mean that is so bad 37 percent true shooting overall and you know he hasn't played much at the four that's probably his best position they tried a little bit of that in the celtics game uh, but with jaron jackson jr coming back i don't think there really is a lot of space for him at the four and you know, they traded for him to be their starting three and he does not look like he's going to be good enough offensively yeah he's, he's a solid defensive player but kyle anderson i think is better than him in nearly every area i mean maybe if you just have to get into guys defensively and get over screens that's where winslow is better but i mean if you just look at some of these numbers he's and there's been a few plays in garbage time and stuff but like 15 points on 36 possessions as a pick and roll ball and they're like what why is he running pick and roll at, at this point in time and spot ups he's even worse he's got 19 points on 50 possessions there a lot of those are the threes but obviously when he tries to drive a closeout uh, that's pretty terrible as well i mean if you just look at what he's doing as a pick and roll ball handler jumpers off the dribble he's been awful runners he's been awful that's been like a, a lot of what he's been doing only gotten to the basket three times uh, out of pick and roll out of those 32 possessions i mean that is not very good as well and and of course uh, or, no i'm sorry i, I misspoke. he's gotten to the basket seven times out of those 32 possessions and he has three points on those seven attempts at the rim yeah that's yeah. not great no. um so, so also, we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that yeah go, go ahead sorry also as much as you and i like parts of his game this has been a really challenging year for dylan brooks in terms of efficiency 32 percent on twos 45 sorry 32 percent on threes 45 percent on twos that is leading dylan brooks to a 50 percent true shooting same number i brought up for john wall earlier and he gets into guys defensively there are other things but he has to make more shots if the grizzlies are going to want to get there and yeah having jaron jackson would help but having players that teams have to defend and that don't get themselves in trouble is very important if the grizzlies want to take those you know they you need to build your constituent depth and i've liked the steps from guys like you know desmond bain is a rookie i've I've liked him better d'anthony melton's taken some strides but you know you still need guys like dylan brooks to really play at the level at at a starting caliber level well and it's it's pretty amazing because basically the only guys on this team who can shoot kyle anderson's actually having a nice season from three but he's mostly a corner shooter he takes forever to get off 37 percent. that's not you know kudos to him for improving there but that's also he's not really a threat they basically have three guys on this team who can shoot they're all shooting over 40 percent, and they all play the two so you're basically you're only gonna have uh one of Bain, Grayson Allen, and DeAnthony Melton on the floor at one time. And so you basically, this team plays one shooter at all times. And so Jaron Jackson is be so important, but you know who knows what he can give them after such a long layoff, whether he can get back to actually being good by the time they get into the play-in, which they should at least reach the play-in. Uh, they are on pace for that. How about uh, talking some wolves here? 
Yeah, Minnesota eleven and thirty-five on the season, four and twelve since the last fifteen sixty. They are dead last in net rating, negative eight point six. Twenty-sixth in offense, twenty-seventh in defense. Five thirty-eight projects them to finish one game behind the Rockets for the worst record in the Western Conference. In fact, it is the worst record in the NBA because the the Pistons have are, are ahead of that by a couple games. They're not going to make the playoffs. Uh, Josh Kogi was a late scratch on Wednesday, being entered in health and safety protocols. He is still in the health and safety protocols, so it's probably going to be at least a week. We'll have to see if it's longer than that. And we're a little bit too early to fully like go in depth on the Chris Finch era, though there are some really positive signs early on. And we've alluded to this a little bit before, but he's finally putting the ball in Carl Anthony Towns' hands as a playmaker. And Finch was in, as we mentioned before, was in Denver when Jokic emerged that way, was in New Orleans when DeMarcus Cousins was having a career high in assists. But even is allowing Towns to attack off the dribble from up top and just ISO, go one-on-one the way a guard would. And against slower centers, particularly considering how well Towns shoots the ball, I, I think that could be really fascinating and that was something that caused some problems for phoenix deandre Ayton got in foul trouble and that was obviously the big game that the wolves fans love to watch that was the game that anthony edwards had 40 points and we saw some pretty good stuff from edwards in that game particularly as a passer i thought where he's starting to put it together with some more nice passes at times where we'd really only seen that in transition early on but like making nice drives along the baseline dropping it off for cutters those sorts of plays but also worth noting that and this happens with every rookie so not not picking on him but you have some big games and those show a lot of promise and those get into the consciousness of the casual fan it's on sports center people tweet about it but no one tweets about it when the guy has a poor game and really edwards not much better over the last 15 games than he's been right and so there that's why you know i i talk a lot about rookie years are about flashes but over the last 15 games anthony edwards about 30 percent usage but 49 percent true shooting and when you look at the full season edwards 48 percent true shooting so it hasn't it's been in terms of overall efficiency he's been at about the same level even if the flashes have gotten more prominent and i mean a good example of that it was it was on a back-to-back but you know has that huge 42 point game against the suns fantastic moment great win for the team they play the suns again in phoenix the next night edwards four of 18 from the field forces a couple of it has seven turnovers and it's like yeah the good game is important but it all counts yeah, so you really saw in that game what that two-man game between Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns uh, could be. Overall, though, uh, Towns, given the tragedy he's gone through and the injury issues uh, that he's had and gay COVID himself just a, a little bit less proficient as an individual scorer this year particularly as a post-up guy and he's really kind of become a little bit more one-dimensional there where I thought that he what made him so unstoppable was he was really able to just get to his spot to shoot that jump hook and then be able to play off of that and he's just not quite as powerful he's not backing down quite as hard you know part of that maybe could just be a conditioning issue as well where he just can't quite go as hard in the post but his post-up numbers are down 0.95 points per possession last year 0.88 this year which is is not great uh and then last year he shot better from three still at 40 percent this year but he's taking fewer threes uh, as well part of that is probably because he's going to be doing more stuff on the ball and so 
uh, and and there's also just a, a lot of noise in here between how he was being used under Ryan Saunders and how he's being used uh, with Chris Finch. Uh, but interestingly, a much higher percentage of his baskets so far this year from three and from two uh, had been assisted. And I, I expect that that will go down to some degree once the time with Chris Finch starts to tell a, a little bit more. Uh, we've also seen Towns be about the same as he was uh, as a role man. He's not one of the most efficient guys there, but that's because he pops so much. A lot of these role men are just only shooting if it's a dunk uh, on the roll. And He's also getting out in transition less than he was last year uh, and not nearly as much. Well, I'm sorry. No, I, I misspoke there. Uh, and the other thing that I really like that he does that's just so hard to guard is coming off screens off the ball. I mean, that's something where if he's being guarded by a center, you just cannot deal with that at, at all. So I'm interested to see with all this perimeter attacking that he's doing, our team's going to start switching against him more thinking like, hey, if this guy's dribbling a uh, up top and he's involved in any kind of screening action we're not that worried about him posting up by the time he then goes down into the post we can find someone else to switch on to him down there and he hasn't been as devastating a force you still got to get it into him we can front we can bring help because it's going to be really hard the more he operates from the perimeter for centers to be able to deal with him and you know maybe they can kind of yoke it up where he can dribble into some more post-ups as well once he does get the switch but uh obviously there's a team that's a little starved for shooting as well uh Malik Beasley came back uh, against uh, the Rockets in that game they got completely blown out in and uh, did not look great as you might expect Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Well, I think we can move on to the New Orleans Pelicans. They are 20 and 25, 7 and 8 since the last 1560, but they are 3 and 1 in their last four, including a split against the Nuggets and a win over the Mavericks on Saturday. They're basically even in net rating, which is 14th in the NBA. Pels are 7th in offense, 28th in defense. And they are also in that collection of teams with projected for 34 wins. And Raptors model, 30% playoff odds. ELO, 22%. And as has often been the case, the big story in New Orleans is one Zion Williamson. He he broke his career. He broke his previous career high with 39 points and then finished one short of that with 38 on the two ends of a back-to-back against Denver on Friday and Dallas on Saturday. Yeah, and Zion Seth has been uh, all over this one. He's basically just having the greatest scoring season in the paint since Shaquille O'Neal, where he's getting, you know, I think some guys like Giannis and stuff are like 13, 14 points a game in the paint. And uh, actually, actually, Giannis might be higher, but Zion is way higher than that because he's not shooting threes the the way Giannis is. So, uh, I mean, Zion has done better going to his right this year, and he's gotten at least a little bit of a right hand. That was a big struggle for him going against some of the bigger teams like the Lakers and the Bucks a year ago, but he still is trying to go left most of the time. And uh, Scott Hastings was all over that as the, the Denver Nuggets color guy saying that he's always going to go back left and he does but it's still completely devastating his right to left spin move is just ridiculous you know he'll do that around the free throw line and he's just so fast that he can cover the ground and but it's not 
a spin move like Giannis where he's got to it's long it's loping he's got to kind of commit to it everything that he does is just so tight and so compact and so quick whether it's that inside out dribble whether it's just a, his overall handle that you can't really load up on him nearly as well as you can on Giannis because Giannis again he's kind of these long loping strides and so once he starts that spin move he's kind of out of control and yeah he's probably going to beat you but if you know where he's going and you can beat him with the spot you can draw a charge or force a miss or knock him off balance a little bit Zion is doing all that but he's doing that spin move off of two feet all in a small area but still way faster and way more powerful than you and Rick Carlisle had a a quote basically saying that he's like Shaquille O'Neal type of physicality with point guard skills and also talking about like some of the collisions he creates uh, so if you imagine Zion, if he could get a spin move going from left to right, in addition to the way he has right to left, I mean, that will make him completely unstoppable. And, and overall, Danny, I mean, given where Zion was at the start of the season, both how he looked and also just how he looked in the bubble and some of the injury stuff, you got to be ecstatic with how this season has turned out for him. Especially with the last month or so as Stan Van Gundy's put the ball in Zion's hands. Really almost two months now. It was really like late January when that was starting. And so it it, it couldn't be going much better in that kind of macro sense when you think about where Zion is and where he's going. And it really is about the star. Uh, Rob Mahoney and I actually talked about the Pelicans a lot uh, on the pod that we did on, it came out on Saturday. And yeah, it's it's overwhelmingly positive. I mean, I'd love to see more strides defensively, but Zion does look better does look better on that end and yeah again given where he was at the start of the year and given where he was in the bubble I I think he's been above my expectations this year granted damning with faint praise if there ever were sure um also on the Pelicans front I wanted to do a little bit math problem it won't break through the whole thing because I don't think it makes great radio but basically Pelicans opponents are shooting 39% on threes and they're taking 39 threes a game. So I just wanted to figure out, okay, if teams were if, if teams were shooting a league average against them instead of that 39%, how much would that change their overall defensive stuff? And as I roughly worked it out, it's about 2.5 points per, per game and they play about 100 possessions per game. So let's call it 2.5 in 2.5 points in defensive rating. That would be a, that would be a significant difference, but their defense would go from being 28th in the league to 25th. So it's not like that is that is not the whole reason that they're struggling. This comes up with Sacramento as well, but it is a part of it. Kyra Lewis also now has been in the rotation. Lonzo Ball has been out with this hip issue. So Nikhil Alexander-Walker has been starting and shooting it a little bit better, although Alexander-Walker just still cannot make a shot around the basket 45%, which is just atrocious. Uh, but Lewis now, and be interesting to see whether Alexander Walker or Lewis would get the minutes once Alonzo comes back I suspect it'll be Lewis due to Stan Van Gundy kind of saying Nikhil Alexander Walker isn't really a point guard uh so but Lewis in his last five games or I'm sorry six games has uh, been uh doing a good job running the team yeah um Shmeet Dua brought up that Lewis hasn't turned it over in six games which is great uh and for for the season his assisted turnover ratio is about five to one sometimes you want to see young guys turn it over a little bit just because that's kind of the pass aggressiveness idea that's come up before yeah but still good to see see, good to see lewis be you know be efficient in that respect making 33 percent of his threes not turning the ball over and making 62 percent of his shots at the rim but we're in a small sample size 442 minutes so i 
I, I want to watch more of Lewis when we have more film. 400 minutes, especially, you know, like in the, in the limited time that I've watched the Pelicans, probably not enough. But w- when we have the time to do like the young player scout later in the year, whether we end up doing that in the like around the playoffs because there's so many damn games this year, I, I'm excited to see because Lewis was somebody who we never did a full scout on, but I ended up seeing a fair amount because he played against Tyrese Halliburton in the, one of the film games I watched on him and played against another guard in the film I watched of that guard. So I like I liked what I'd seen from Lewis, but we didn't do a full scout. Yeah, and he had uh, two of his best games of the year in their win over the Lakers. He had a career-high 16, and then uh, in their win over Dallas, well, you know, Dallas with no Luka and Lakers with no LeBron, but uh, 13 points in their win over Dallas and played over 20 minutes both of those games. And uh, quick note uh, on Lonzo. Lonzo is leading the NBA in points per potential assist. Uh, 1.60 points per potential assist. And uh, when you can throw a half-court alley-oop to Zion Williamson, that definitely helps out uh, with that number. The Thunder, 19 and 26. Somehow, someway, 8 and 8 in their last 15 and 60. Or, or since the last 15 over and 60. Baby. I, I still, if, if they're expected wins per 82 hits the under i'm gonna be so mad but i mean obviously obviously you're <laughs> i'll i'm gonna be taking the l on that i picked them for 20 wins and they've they've won 19 already uh negative 6.2 net rating 26 in the nba 29th on offense but a robust 12th uh, on defense projecting for 27 wins uh they actually have a three percent chance of making the playoffs uh, per elo but that will uh not be happening since the break it's the usual negative 7.7 net rating but they're still four and five <laughs> it's completely ridiculous yeah but i mean uh it's not gonna get any easy for him with these injury issues injury and player availability choices um so the most concerning is of course shay gilgis alexander he is dealing with plantar fasciitis in his right foot and we talked about this a little bit before that it sounds like he's gonna miss a significant amount of time and the thunder are just not nearly as as talented a team not as dangerous a team when shay is unavailable and on top of that, Lou Dort is now in the concussion protocol, and then the reporting from Woj over the weekend that Al Horford just isn't going to play for them anymore this season. Not because he's unhealthy, not because he's away from the team. He's still going to be with the team. He's still going to be travel. He's still going to be at the team facility. He's just not playing in their final twenty-eight games. Yeah, I think this is the earliest we've ever seen it. The Suns in 16-17 with Bledsoe, I think they shut him down maybe in like mid-March. I want to say it might have even been like early March. But this is, I mean, this is what three days after the trade deadline is over. It's It's more than a third of the season. Yeah, and... And he's obviously, he probably missed the last like five games before this for rest uh, essentially as well. And and we knew that this was going to be the drill. They couldn't find a trade for him because he has too much salary still for next year and the year after. And Woj is reporting saying that they're going to try to work together to find somewhere else uh, that he can go. But uh, I mean, the Thunder, even, even if Horford were willing to give back a ton of money, you wouldn't want to do that as the Thunder because he can be a vehicle to take on bad salary and, and get you some assets in in the same way the uh, the old coming and going that Sam Presti has done with what five dudes now uh, which has been quite masterful so I mean they don't want him to get hurt obviously they don't want miles on the tires he's played reasonably well this year they've been pretty good defensively when he's been out there so this makes a lot of sense I think I I would argue that it's 
I think it's a little bit more about preserving the asset than it is about losing games necessarily, but that may be a distinction without a difference. I, I think that it is. And I know that there are different forces in play, one of them being the gargantuan national television contract. But this... Well, well don't worry. They they, uh, they they don't have to worry about like the league's resting rules on nationally televised games. Well, it... That's exactly where I'm going, is that the league made all of these pronouncements and stuff about competitive balance and, oh, doing right by that, when it was potentially players sitting in national TV games. The Thunder do not play another nationally televised game the remainder of this season. This is so damaging for competitive balance. To healthy scratch one of a team's best players because you want to maximize potentially his trade value later on, like, this is... if. If I, this is so, it, it, I understand the Thunder doing it. If they can get away with it in certain respects, more power to them. But that's what the league is supposed to do. Like it's saying you can't just sit one of your guys because you feel like it. Like it's, it is in certain ways a victimless crime in the sense that it seems like it's not been a bad deal for Al Horford. He's still making his money. The Thunder are going to lose games, which they want to do. But every team that played the Thunder that had more games against them in the beginning of the year than the end of the year should be pissed off because they're they're getting away they're they're getting away with this and it's very it's very frustrating to me i understand it i'm not saying it's i'm not saying it's irrational i'm not saying anything like that from the team's perspective but it makes everything else in terms of competitive balance and all that ring hollow if it's like basically you only care if it's a national tv game it wouldn't surprise me because they always could have just said oh yeah he has knee tendonitis again they're probably the fact that they're actually announcing that they're just deciding to shut him down i mean that's that's good for them because if he, they were listed out with an injury like that would probably just reduce his trade value and and also i mean for for horford himself i'm sure he would rather just the the idea be that he's sitting out rather than that he is uh you know is injured uh for for his future availability but uh, also i mean when you consider it too danny like they got some young bigs they want to find. i mean moses prime we'll have to talk more about him but like he's been awesome 23 pr he had 17 and 19 in the first half the, the other day i mean he's made one of the greatest one season improvements that i've seen he's been a ridiculous offensive rebounder 16.5 percent offensive rebound and he's uh, been a good dunk foil for some guys too but he's also huge he's been a a, a solid enough intimidator around the rim 5.6 percent uh two point block rate so they want to get him out there they want to get i mean mike muscala is still here i guess he's going to play a little bit but they want to get poku some time they want to get Isaiah Roby. yeah Roby. i mean uh, uh, kenrick williams like they, they've you know they weren't going to play horford at the four obviously so they have guys that they would like to get a look at i mean if you are a thunder fan even if it weren't for the draft pick and even if it weren't for the trade value like this still makes sense like they're not making the playoffs this year to just develop guys so i, I don't know what the solution to this is i mean if the, the is the league really going to crack down on it and say oh we come up with a bullshit injury for for this guy uh, you know what's what's the point of that um what else we got uh, on these guys i'm going to be keeping an eye i mean you know how i am with protected picks and everything like that on on how the thunder you know how this goes in terms of record because they are right in the mix in terms of you know net rating brought up that they're 26th in the league right now and there's a lot of fungible room there but remember the thunder are 19 and 26 and the Rockets have the third worst record at 13 and 32. Even if the Thunder are truly terrible the rest of the way, even if they, you know, the, 
the non-Shay games work similarly to how the non-Shay games have worked so far, it will be hard for them to fall all that way because of all the wins that they've already banked. And one huge potential, I would say variable, but I don't think it's going to get close enough for it to matter, is that remember, if OKC could fall below the Rockets, that makes it less likely that the Rockets keep their pick in instead give it to Oklahoma City. Yeah, assuming that they aren't both in the top four. The, yeah, both both in the top four, which they, they probably won't be a, at this point. But uh, the last thing I'll say on these guys, Shea Gilgis Alexander, I think part of why perhaps his playmaking is a little bit underrated right now is that he is 50th in ratio of potential assists to assists among the top 50 potential assisters in the league. So basically, I mean, not a surprise when you look at the surrounding talent, his teammates are the worst of basically any high volume player of turning his passes that could lead to a bucket into an actual assist so yeah and so that's the interesting duality with Shea like we talked about how some of the film looks better on Shea because he has this he has this spacing playing with Horford who's such a wonderful big big man in terms of screening and everything else but when you get down to the, the, the statistical attacks if you're summarizing it that way he's also being hurt by the rest of his surrounding talent because they can't make shots Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Let's talk Suns here at 31 and 14, 12 and 4 since we last checked in on them. Second in the NBA with a plus 7.2 net rating, eighth on offense, fifth on defense. They project in that tie for second in the West with the Clippers with 49 wins. They will, in fact, be making the playoffs. And the Dario Sharge thing at center, we, that's been a, a focus of our analysis all season. And they had a couple of games lately where they kind of went away from that pretty quickly. And it went back to DeAndre Ayton a little bit earlier. Uh, but still, since February 1st, a 14 net rating with Dario Sharich on the floor, which is not quite as good as the season long, but still pr- pretty awesome. And I mean, basically, if you just look at all of their main players since February, February 1st pretty much everyone has a net rating in the double digit I think Paul is like the worst with like 8.5 or something like that uh I've looked a lot at the potential assists uh, and Chris Paul now that he is more in a primary ball handling role than he was last year with the Thunder when they had those other two guards uh, who handled it as well he has been second in the NBA 19.6 potential assists for 36 minutes so basically damn once once every other minute Chris Paul is throwing a pass to set a teammate up for a shot uh so and he that is only 0.1 behind Russell Westbrook who leads the NBA in that category and Trey Young is second uh and that he's one behind Chris Paul so Chris Paul just a ton of potential assists this season and Paul just continues rolling right along in terms of his own individual efficiency as well yeah and I mean for Chris Paul he he passes more out of pick and roll than a vast majority of guys but he's still pretty efficient as a pick and roll pick and roll score 0.97 points per possession that's that's you know not not ridiculous but one of the better in the league and he's also as always knows his exact spots efficient as an isolation player yeah so the numbers on isolation are very good again even going back to his rocket states this was the case uh he's got 107 possessions 110 points that's awesome these are all half court possessions and uh 1.03 points per 
possession 76 percentile it is interesting how much the numbers on isolation self-created stuff pick and rolls isolations post-ups have gotten better i think that's one of the biggest things that you'll see is just it's so much harder to help now with all the three-point shooters in addition to the fact that i think teams are generally playing worse defensive players than they were because shooting is more prioritized and there's usually there's a negative correlation between your shooting ability and your defensive ability generally that's why those three and d guys are so good Uh, but so you think oh man those numbers are great like chris ball isolation like that's he's probably able to beat switches so easily like if you get into the playoffs i i I don't think so um because in the regular season you're going against a bunch of guys who don't know chris paul's game they don't know the scouting report particularly in this season when there's so little practice time against really good defenders in the playoffs i think it's difficult for him especially if it's someone who has more length than him i think it's tough for him to get to those shots now there are not a ton of great switching defensive teams in the western conference playoffs so i I think paul if he's going up against a guy his size or you can get someone who's not a great defender switched onto you or the team is playing conventional pick and roll defense i think he's still going to be effective probably the only team that we really look at as a great switching team would be the clippers if they really have all their personnel am i forgetting anyone i think that's really the only one that comes to mind right now the suns themselves might actually be one of the better ones but good thing they don't have to play against themselves but i think if you really get up against the best guys that paul can struggle there it's just i'm not sure what that matchup is for him even against like i don't think there's even a team that's as good as switching as like houston was last year and paul was awesome in the clutch in that series but he also was not unbelievable for the whole series if memory memory serves you i'm sure you guys can correct me if i'm wrong uh, on that so i I think because he still is so dependent on getting to that right hand that right elbow that fade away on his isolations that if you really have the right personnel you can stop him but i don't know that there is that right personnel other than the clippers yeah, I, th- I think that's a, a really interesting and a potentially important point as we kind of get into the perspectives of, you know, what these matchups could actually be. There's an, a curiosity that the Jay Crowder at four version of the Suns starting lineup has been much less effective than some of the other variants, including Frank Kaminsky there. But it feels and seems like that might just be more anomalous, you know, like opponent shots going in versus not going in rather than those lineups truly being better slash worse. Yeah that Crowder at the four lineup that version of the starters has played the third most possessions of any lineup but they only have a plus 1.9 net rating and remember that Crowder was coming off the bench for a while they're starting Kaminsky that version with Kaminsky is a plus seven all of that decline is defensive though and so no I'm sorry you're not better defensively with Frank Kaminsky out there than Jay Crowder so I, I I'm going to say that that is a small sample size theater right there the Blazers had a nice win over Toronto how are their stats overall portland after the win they moved up to 28 and 18 10 and 7 since the last 1560 slightly blow water net rating uh their 17th overall the split we're kind of getting used to at this point fifth in offense 29th in defense portland projected to win 42 games which narrowly puts them in sixth that's one game behind fifth and one game ahead of seventh um they're gonna make the playoffs though elo is a little less optimistic but they've you know dame's missed some time yeah elo elo again as a reminder is that's more based on just what have you done this year so far and how does that project going forward whereas raptor is more based on just who is what are your personnel available and their individual ratings and the blazers have their personnel back now they do uh yusuf nurkic returned on friday he started and played 19 minutes as they beat the magic then he started and played 19 minutes 
as they beat the Toronto Raptors without Kyle Lowry. Worth worth noting that. Um, Norm Powell has now played in two games with the Blazers. He has started in both of them, including Lillard returning. So they did a starting five of Lillard, CJ, Powell, Covington, Nurkic. Uh, Jones came off the bench, Derek Jones Jr. Um, and Powell... 12 points, or sorry, 22 in his debut, 13 in his revenge game against the Tampa slash Toronto Raptors. Yeah, so starting Powell is interesting. Terry Stotts said that part of the reason they started him over Derek Jones Jr. was because of the Raptors going with three guards, which included a uh, former Blazer Gary Trent, who did not have a revenge game with two out of ten, although Rodney Hood uh, did hit like his first three shots and then, of course, uh, fell off uh, as well. Both those guys were, were in the rotation for Toronto. But they are definitely very small with Lillard, McCollum, and Powell playing the three. I think a lot of the thinking on Powell, uh, as people have pointed out, is that trapping of Dame Lillard, you want to throw it to someone who, oh, you cut, you gave me the ball with no one in front of me, I'm going to just just drive this down your throat right now and be able to make a play in the way that say Derek Jones Jr. wouldn't. Uh, Derek Jones Jr. did actually have a wonderful game in this one uh, against the Raps, 16 points, seven of nine, and had one of the plays of the year, which I was surprised did not show up on Twitter. He got this pass along the baseline, coming along the right side, jumped in the air, got fouled, did a 360 spin as he's getting fouled, double pump on the other side of the rim and laid it in. It was, I tweeted it out at Nate Duncan NBA. I, I hear people love my Twitter account, so uh, you should definitely follow me and interact with me as much as possible. But that was like, I, I was shocked that that didn't get more play. Maybe everyone was watching NCAA or something, but that, that was a ridiculous play uh and so they definitely are small i mean and we saw that you know, cj mccollum for example was guarding og ananobi and ananobi was able to back him down in the lane a few times Ananobi was actually probably more aggressive creating his own shot than i've ever seen so it's you know if they if they go up against like the clippers for example i think there's just there's no way that they can get away with playing those three guys in the starting line but the other advantage of powell is he can come back in and play with cj on that second unit to give them a little bit more of a creator and powell got to the line a lot uh with nine free throw attempts only took six field goal attempts though and zero assists i think you can assume that that's going to be the case a lot of the time with powell what and so what's going to be interesting with that is how amfrey simon's role shifts in time he played 13 minutes in the win over the raps and i mean it seems like part of what powell is doing is also supplanting that that role and now no, that absolutely. you know and 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 maybe i mean they need carmelo anthony less now whether they play carmelo anthony less we'll have to see and nurkic is still ramping up so we still got plenty of ennis canner and also you know they didn't they played without a traditional center a significant portion of sunday's game as well yeah at the end of the second quarter when they actually made a, a nice run they were going with carmelo at center covington jones jr and then lillard and mccollum they also brought out for a short time ennis canner at center back with their original starters jones jr covington and then the two star guards and that was a lineup that's been really good as starters like that's been a plus double digit net rating so far so i think they wanted to at least still get a look there terry stotts will have to work through what this is going to look like you mentioned nurkic playing the 19 minutes they brought him back in at the start of the second as well because i don't think they want to play him that many minutes uh, in a row right now so they've got a lot of different looks that they can go to and we'll see whether Cantor can survive defensively Nurkic can he get back to the same level of defense that he had before he hurt the the leg I mean he's probably their best hope 
there you would think but uh, the rotational choices very interesting but good for the blazers to win this game despite shooting 10 out of 34 from three and uh, the raptors threatened late got back within one and then cj mccollum put him away with seven points in a row he the raptors were going with stanley johnson at center and to try and switch and cj first he crossed him up got to the right elbow hit a shot over him then he blew past him for a, a floater that rimmed in and then he got chris boucher switched onto him when boucher came in and got past boucher drew a foul hit another floater in the lane so that seven quick points basically put the game away one of those flurries so we mentioned before that cj's kind of working his way back into shape but it looked better in this one finished with 23 points uh, on 9 of 18 and from two he, he was much better uh, as well as just struggling a little bit from three and now they are jacking up three since he came back as i mentioned leading the nba taking 47 percent of their shots from downtown and, and taking the most above the break threes in the nba as well and I thought Lillard was working his way back, too. Remember, he missed yeah. Friday's game due to left, left knee contusion. Just didn't look quite like himself. And that, that takes some time, and they don't play again until Wednesday. So maybe he'll look a lot better against the Pistons. Well, and hilariously, Lillard, he had seven assists in the first seven and a half minutes of the game, and then four the rest of the game. And he had nine assists in the first quarter, and then two the rest of the game. So and part of that, I think, was that they were the Raptors went away from a, a conventional pick-and-roll well, style. There was also the ridiculousness of the Raptors scoring 41 points in the first quarter 74 points in the first half and then 10 points in the third quarter yeah that wasn't too good although uh, I will say that Paul's uh, small stature was emphasized by Aaron Baines coming in on the left baseline and dunking all over him, which was unexpected uh, for, for Aaron Baines, who is not known for his explosion. The Kings, Danny. Kings are on a roll right now. I'm not I'm not all the way to Kings over, baby, but things are looking better than they were. Uh, Sacramento, 21 and 25 overall, 9 and 8 since the last 15 and 60. They are being outscored by 3.8 points Brenner possessions that's 23rd in the NBA 10th in offense dead last in defense uh Kings are projected to win 33 games which is 12th in the league and yeah their odds for the playoffs they were basically kind of towards the bottom of the league now it's 16% and 13% per the two models and first on kind of a bookkeeping note um they're in order the Sacramento took on extra players in the moves that they made at the deadline and that meant they had to clear roster spots and releasing Jabari Parker wasn't a huge surprise considering he was well out of things. But you and I both thought there was a chance they were going to keep Cabin Gale. I thought that would have been a worthwhile thing for Sacramento. You know, young player, potentially interesting. Can, you know, you can't pay him much, but probably enough to keep him around if things go well. But, you know, not not a completely like, I'm not, I'm not saying it's like a, an egregious franchise changing mistake or anything. Like that. Yeah, so the Kings are seven and three, but unlike, when they had their other streak earlier in the season they actually have a positive net rating of plus 3.7 since the break that was helped by that blowout over the Warriors with no stuff and Draymond John Schumann pointed out that that was the most the single most efficient individual game uh that any team has had so far this season uh, on offense uh, against the Warriors and the Kings starting lineups have actually been pretty good even the Bagley version hilariously it's really been when Bagley's played the five that they've gotten 
ruck, but even the Bagley at four version of their starters is plus 7.8. And then you throw in Halliburton for Bagley, and that version is plus 13.5. So that's actually eighth best in the league out of the 37 lineups that have played more than 300 possessions together. Uh, and again, obviously, such lineups have a higher median since coaches keep playing what works. But uh, it was not a dominating win over the Cavs, but it certainly was an insane one on Saturday night. It really was. And I I didn't do a league password partially because I was watching I was watched part of that game on my phone. And it was it was completely surreal because there were three scores in the final 6.2 seconds of the game, each of which turned a deficit to a lead. So to kind of set the table on how the whole end of the game went, Cavs were up three, then De'Aaron Fox made a mid-ranger to cut the lead to one with 46 seconds to go. The Kings have, when you consider their dead last defense, have a great defensive possession. The Cavs didn't really get anything. It was so bad that they ended up calling a timeout with about a second left on the shot clock, ended up getting a shot clock violation when a Coro missed a three. And so, okay, you know, Sacramento, Sacramento, Sacramento has it and they have a chance to a chance to take the lead and De'Aaron Fox misses a long two so Sacramento fouls Lamar Stevens splits the free throws Cleveland's up two and so you can think about okay you know you're up two team's gonna the opponent's gonna push really quickly but you you know you kind of don't want to give up an open three and you don't want to do anything else the other thing you don't want to do is give up an and one and that's exactly what happened Fox drove got an and one clear call nothing wrong there um with 6.2 left so instead of you know that that made it a one point lead for Sacramento uh the Cavs call timeout Sexton drives and puts up a layup and Rashawn Holmes you know this is something I always criticize like young athletic bigs for doing Rashawn Holmes is older than that now he tries to block it but it has clearly unambiguously already hit the backboard so I don't know I my instinct when I watched it live was that Sexton's layup wasn't going to go in but Holmes got the goaltend counts as two points line driving the box score anyway so but the crazy thing about it being a goaltend is that instead of like let's say it had gone in it being when the ball goes through the basket generally the way that the scorekeeping works and correct me if I'm wrong but I'm pretty sure this is right because it's how they did in the game is that you get more time left because the basically the goaltend makes it a dead ball so instead of it being like I think it was 0.6 that ended up being 1.6 and that mattered a lot because De'Aaron Fox QB1 QB1 as he tweeted former Texas former Texas high school quarterback De'Aaron Fox throws a cross-court pass to Harrison Barnes who drills a three-pointer to win the game so that was the third score in 6.2 seconds all of which turned a deficit to a lead yeah they I mean he threw it just on a line all the way to basically the hash mark on the right side and Barnes was able to just turn over his left shoulder and shoot really not much of a contest by the Cavs but obviously you're desperate to avoid falling in that situation and Barnes uh, just drained it. one of the bigger shots uh, of Harrison Barnes uh, career to be sure uh why is their defense so bad are they really this bad I mean they are like you didn't say they're you said they're dead last they are like dead and buried last in terms of like the actual uh points per possession statistics they are um yeah so if you want that margin which is which is pretty useful just to put everything into kind of like full color sacramento 118.9 defensive rating the blazers 118.4 and then the pels 117.2 so yeah that's a pretty big margin there for sacramento and it does look worse 
because of crazy opponent shooting luck. I talked before about how the Pels have that combination of giving up a ton of threes and opponents making a ton of them. Sacramento doesn't give up quite as as many, but teams are shooting 39%, and so that's real bad. But like with New Orleans, that's only a small part of what they do. The Kings do not generate turnovers. They do not grab defensive rebounds, and they're giving up 68% shooting at the rim. So a lot of things are going wrong for them. Yeah, and perhaps uh, with Marvin Bagley out for a time, that, that can get better in terms of at least the shooting percentage a lot at the rim. Tyrese Halliburton, you remember back in the draft process whenever I was saying, man, this guy is terrible in pick and roll. That's just not what he's going to be good at. Oh, how about a 73rd percentile, uh, 1.09 points possession? That people thought he was a good passer out of pick and roll, but they just thought that he wouldn't be able to score. And that has not been the case uh, so far. He's been really good. Now, some of that may be on unsustainable shooting off the dribble. He's one. 1.1 points per possession on jumpers off the dribble out of pick and roll and he's 1.12 points per possession on floaters off the dribble out of pick and roll and he's about he's taking 54 dribble jumpers out of pick and roll 50 floaters he really likes that lane line kind of half hook floater off the glass uh, uh, on the right side uh they definitely do a good job of putting him in position to succeed on those pick and rolls like getting him going to his right hand where he's much more comfortable and if he takes it to the rim he's actually finished a pretty well there as well uh, out of pick and roll but he is more looking to pass he actually passes more out of pick and roll higher percentage of the time when you just look at the comparison of shots that he takes out of pick and roll versus passes that lead to shots out of pick and roll only 42.5 percent of the time does he shoot it out of pick and roll that's even lower than chris paul who's about 45 percent of the time so he's definitely more looking to pass he loves throwing that pass to the opposite corner they've got some pretty good shooters here but certainly Halliburton has been better than advertised as a pick and roll guy he's done very little isolation it one play against the Cavs that I was impressed by was he drove hard right and actually was able to kind of get his shoulder into the guy and then step back and hit a two-pointer off the dribble. His release is just so quick. He doesn't get off the ground at all, but he gets that thing off so fast. So if he's able to get more going in terms of his off the dribble game, like a little bit of ISO, I think he really could start to be a secondary creator and you can feel like, all right, we got fox and we and we got Halliburton, and that's kind of enough and we just need more in the front court we don't need another creator let's get to uh san antonio here let's do it the spurs are 23 and 20 on the season seven and nine since the last 1560 still strong 12th in net rating i think they've taken a little bit of a step back with this recent swoon 19th in offense sixth in defense they are in that group of 34 projected wins along with a bunch of other teams one in four one in three chance of making the playoffs uh per espn uh, just a little bit of an addendum on the the pod that we did on the deadline well marcus aldridge left 5.6 million in actual dollars on the table you know it gets into some of that challenging thing because it's like is it prorated all, all that type of stuff so that's a good rough proxy and they're using some of that added wiggle room under the luxury tax to sign Gorgie Jang. And Jang got waived by the Memphis Grizzlies and will sign with the San Antonio Spurs once he clears waivers. Unfortunately for you, as as somebody who enjoys Drew Eubanks, it looks like Gorgie Jang will replace Drew Eubanks in the rotation. Yeah, and they also waived Marquise Chris, of course, uh, who they picked up in that salary focus move, basically just uh, for cash 
So uh, Marquise Chris, even less significant of a Spurs career that, than Austin Day, the last guy that they acquired at, at the trade deadline. And kind of a big picture meta thing for San Antonio is there were a few a few guys that in the you know in the division pods and all that we did were, were like okay we'll see we'll see what happens whether the team decides to to make a trade or not. And San Antonio didn't trade anyone away. They ended up waving Lamarcus Aldridge and then he signed with the Nets. But will it, how will it look you know in in the future that they kept Petty Mills? that they kept Rudy Gay, that they kept DeMar DeBrosen. I, you know, like they still look like they're like a, let's say a play-in team. Playoff is is a little bit more nebulous just because how will they do in that series? And if they, re- I, Patty Mills, I think is different. Like I think, especially if he resigns, then that looks really good. But but on the other ones, you know, we don't know what kind of value is on the table. Um, Another kind of, context note san antonio has the toughest second toughest schedule the rest of the way in terms of strength of the schedule not nearly as hard as the rockets but still pretty tough and san antonio's lost four or five but a big part of that was a back-to-back against the clippers and a game against the bucks yeah. so I'm not, although that I'm not one of those clippers losses was a bad one uh second game uh of their their set Kawhi didn't play sergi baka that's right didn't play and beverly didn't play and they what did they lose that by 13 like that that was that should have been a better performance particularly seeing the same team the second time in a row yeah and that was a game that was closer i think was at the start of the fourth quarter and then the clippers pulled away late despite being incredibly shorthanded uh paul george had 24 reggie jackson had 28 in that one and it has been a weird year because of all the time that he's missed but just very preliminarily uh challenging year for Derek white remember he got that big extension highest usage of his career though that's still only 22 percent his sister down a little bit but 52 percent true shooting 33 percent on threes and just 45 percent on twos and Derek white not getting to the line nearly as much and getting to the basket less yeah and we haven't seen some of those real explosive plays when you remember back in the 2019 playoffs that big dunk that he had on paul Millsap. we haven't seen as much uh, of that for the southwest division leading san antonio spurs uh, this season uh, white is only got one dunk this season and let's let's see how he did in previous seats yeah he had 10 last year and 15 the year before so that that really kind of puts in into stark stark relief uh that he is uh not having the same level of explosion because I, I wouldn't say that they have significantly less spacing or anything like that uh, than they've had previously but they have put him into the starting lineup i, I like their starting lineup right now i think that's probably their best group would you agree with that i would I, and they do derose Rosen's creation is is a good fit for that. I think eventually you'll they'll probably want to shift that a little bit, but I think he helps them right now, and they have enough other defenders that the that DeRozan's limitations aren't really a a, a, a challenge there. Um, also, one other before we move on from Derek White, another thing is that we wondered if his three point attempt rate was going to carry over from the bubble, and it really has. Um, but he shot thirty seven percent from on threes last season and thirty nine percent in the bubble. White is down to thirty three percent so far. Now, small sample hopefully it gets better over the course of the year but that does look different if he's making 39 percent like he was in the bubble versus 33 now yeah a couple of interesting notes just on their rotation lately their starting lineup is white and murray in the backcourt derozan and kelton johnson up front and then 
Pirtle, that Murray Pirtle has been one of the better defensive combinations in the NBA. I mean, that that is a if you're playing conventional pick and roll defense, that's close to a, a, as good as you're going to get there. And White Johnson, I mean, th- those are still good defensive players uh, as well. So you've got really four good defensive players around Demar Derozan, and you've got, I mean, you're low on shooting with that group, obviously. Uh, but th- they housed the Bulls uh, on Saturday at the beginning of that. They were in the first half. The uh, Vucevic Lowry market in front court uh, was not too good protecting the rim as Pirtle went crazy with 20 points, only missed one shot, and even went to the hack of Pirtle uh, at one point. He made one out of two both times. Uh, but the Spurs were 16 out of 20 in the paint in the first half as they basically just completely, the Bulls were never competitive in that game. Um, Lucas Samanich is getting a few minutes lately. We'll keep an eye on him at some point. Uh, Trey Lyles only played once since March 14th, and that was just in their first total blowout loss to the clip. So he's out of the rotation Samanich is he's playing like 10 minutes a game uh oh uh, Marcus Morris didn't play in that second Clippers game either I mean, they were really shorthand uh and, and the Spurs were not competitive but uh I mean the Spurs schedule is going to be difficult the rest of the year also right yeah it, it is overall and the, San Antonio does have a set coming up Monday Wednesday against the Kings both games in San Antonio that that could be a good calibrator for kind of where things are going the schedule gets tougher after that they have a set against Denver and then they play Dallas um later later next week um another stat that I think is really impressive you brought up the Murray Pirtle minutes and a really strong 105 defensive rating when those guys play together forcing a ton of turnovers not fouling doing well in the defensive glass despite Pirtle typically being the only big but the other really incredible part about that is 105 defensive rating despite opponents shooting 40 percent on threes in those minutes now they're not taking a metric ton of threes or anything else like that but still like you, you could the argument would probably be that if you regressed everything else to the mean that they would be doing better than that defensive rating yeah no, that's a great point uh speaking of doing better the utah jazz 34 and 11 10 and 5 since the last 15 and 60 but they the last five games they have been awesome second best net rating in the nba overall still the best net rating 11.1 overall third on offense second on defense they project for 54 wins which is first in the west by five games and they will in fact be making the playoffs so what are you seeing from these guys of late I mean, one of the big parts of this, which is so beneficial for the Jazz, is having a really easy schedule. So you talked about how they've had some of that already. But even when you consider the softer games that they've played post-All-Star break, the Jazz still have the easiest remaining schedule in the NBA. In terms of opponent winning percentage, they don't have many games against... I mean, they are one of the league's best. They don't have a ton against that, but they have. They play the Rockets twice. They play the Wolves twice. They have a bunch, a bunch of that kind of stuff. And so that will allow the Jazz, A, to potentially give their guys some rest and still win some games but also even if they falter a little bit especially with the Lakers you know not really being a threat right now it seems like they can they they can they can hold on to the one seed even if things go badly which they've been going really well recently yeah I made that prediction on the awards pod that they would be less than the 7.4 net rating that they've had and I completely forgot that they have the easiest schedule which makes what they did so far much more impressive so I, I may end up taking the L on that one we'll see although these guys still have like basically not suffered a single
single injury all year bad teams just have no chance against them at home you know memphis just was not competitive in a set against them recently last four games for the jazz 4-0 21.7 net rating third ranked offense and the first ranked defense over that time 121.7 offensive rating 100 defensive rating during that period uh i mentioned that bad teams have no chance against them at home best offense in the nba at home 121.8 uh and they have the number two half court home offense by the way when we say best offense in the nba at home that's among all teams playing at home uh not just they would be the best overall offense in the nba if you only counted their home games uh so their number two and half court offense very interesting though and i think this is this kind of plays in a little bit with the altitude and particularly in this season where there's more fatigue and the number one stat that i think you could probably point to in terms of effort like an f the number one effort stat is offensive rebounding and that's a pretty good indication of of conditioning sometimes yeah sometimes you're not going for offensive rebounds that's a a big part of it but i think the the number one thing that you can improve effort on maybe it's getting loose balls but offensive rebounds loose balls that's right up there so at home the jazz are the number two offensive rebounding team in the nba 31 percent of offensive rebounds at home that is really good i mean anything over 30 percent is like ridiculous at this point in time 16th in the nba in road game 26 percent offensive rebounding on the road and they dropped to sixth overall on offense on the road so a big part of that is just the drop off in offensive rebounding and so whether that's the jazz actually having some fans and trying harder like one one thing that years ago a paper at sloan showed was that late in games for the home team offensive rebounding goes up because you're kind of being exhorted on by the crowd whereas free throw shooting for the home team late in games goes down because you actually feel more pressure from like not wanting to disappoint your own fans than all of the road fans wanting you to miss that's the interesting psychology there uh so I, I thought that was that was fascinating i'm not the the nuggets the other altitude team don't see that type of a split and maybe that's just random sample or a function of the types of teams that they've played at home or, or on the road or maybe they drive to the basket more maybe they take shots that are more likely to be offensive rebounded at home a number of possible explanations for that but i I thought that was pretty fascinating yeah it absolutely is and something i've been keeping an eye on is the non-gobert minutes for the jazz and impressively they've been outscoring opponents uh to the tune of 3.6 per 100 possessions but I wondered about like the defense and you know the the idea of they paid Derek Favors a bunch of money over multiple seasons and would that would that work out and it hasn't defensively. Yeah, I mean, he's so, looking so, pretty cooked. I mean, if you just watch him, he has not really been effective protecting the room. I mean, right. see, seeing it, see him in person um, at the Warriors game, you know, I'm able to to get a better seat uh, because there's nobody there and he just is not getting off the floor defensively. Just watching that the Warriors really just like killed them inside, like in comparison to like James Wiseman and like you know Draymond even was driving in on, on Favors in that game and obviously comparing him to Gobert I mean nobody's going to be Gobert but Favors used to be a quality rim protector himself as as recently as a couple of years ago and that that's no longer the case Agreed. And so how those lineups have been effective is by being really good offensively. And the most common group has been Donovan Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson, Royce O'Neal, Bojan Bogdanovic, and Favors. That group has over... And also, this is a reminder of how ridiculously healthy the Jazz have been. Yeah. Their most common bench lineup 
has 500 possessions together. Like that is that is wild. And then they have a second one which swaps Ingles for Carson that is over 300 as well. So they've been, but so the idea is basically that they're doing it by offense. And you know my skepticism that you know giving giving favors a three year deal with a 30 years of player option and if if ownership is willing to pay it, more power to them. You know that you get into those circumstances. But that is something to keep an eye on. And there will be fewer non Gobert minutes when we get into the playoffs. But as this team moves forward, like are they going to would they be willing to give up an asset or are they just willing to you know bite it and pay pay tax on him because remember like they're basically at the tax line next year without anything from mike conley now that's a that's a great point and i mean it seems like they are willing to pay that <laughs> uh we'll, we'll i hope see. so yeah. I, I i mean that is that is like maybe one of the larger you know kind of meta free agent conversations that hasn't happened yet is basically are the jazz going to keep it together i mean they're the league's best team right now and pretty pretty clearly the league's best team in terms of regular season success and they would have to be as things look right now deep into the luxury tax to keep this team together yeah well i mean if you're the number one seed even if you lose in the playoffs i mean that's a that's a pretty good reason to to keep together to have your best season essentially since i mean i I guess they technically made it to the west finals although only because dallas got upset in in the first round back in 2007 but this would pretty clearly to me be their best team since the the stockton malone era probably their best team since 1999 uh, i would say when they got upset by portland in the in the second run after getting the number one seed in malone got the mvp again that year i think that can wrap it up here for us though danny and uh we'd like to thank you all you for listening and if you're a new subscriber to dunktown prime thanks uh, for doing that and you can catch us on the nba cast tomorrow really good east playoff race game between new york and miami uh if you're an nba league pass subscriber or you can just actually buy the game uh, on its own as well you can join us there and we're doing that locker room chat which is uh free as well but also posting that podcast for free as well so we're actually gonna have a second podcast now for free uh just to give a second free one it's not you know our usual like ton of research type of stuff but those are fun conversations you could jump in even on, on locker room and talk to us as well that's usually at six eastern three pacific Danny did Real Gym Radio with Rob Mahoney. He talked about that. And I am not going to talk about anything else. Talk to you all in a couple of days. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.